Good morning. All right, so Katie told you my name is Allison, and I did have the opportunity in the fall to go to Israel. So um, in light of us being in the Gospel of Luke, this period of um, Bible study, she asked me to come up this week and next week to share a little bit through the chapters that we're on um, in light of that trip and what I got to learn by being there. Now, I'm not an expert on Israel, but... Being there did kind of shape some of my understanding, and I do want to share that with you guys today. So, but first of all, since you don't know me, I'm going to start off with a confession, and that is that I'm really a nerd. Even Mark was teasing me when I told him, I want slides, and I want to use a laser pointer today, and I've known Mark a really long time, and even he was teasing me, you know, you're such a nerd, Alice. I'm like, I am a nerd, and so here's a little bit of confessional proof to you guys. I kind of have an obsession with biographies. Before I had kids, I would um, travel a lot for work. So I'd get on these planes and fly all over the country, and I'd get to the airport, and I'd go into the store that sells all the magazines, and I don't even know if this magazine exists anymore, but back then there was one, a biography magazine, and that was like my lifeblood. I'd go grab that, and I'd read it the whole way on the plane, because I just love reading stories about people. And then I'd get to my hotel room, and I'm, you know, by myself in this hotel room. It's super fun. I would find the biography channel on TV. Okay, this is what I do in my time. And I would watch these biographies about people. I even got to meet somebody later on accident running into them in an airport that I had watched a biography on. And it was like, I felt like I knew them. You know, I'm I'm kind of like that. I'm the person that if I come to your house, I'm probably going to walk around and look at all your pictures on your walls, ask to see your wedding album, like, tell me your childbirth experiences, you know, like, I want to know about people. I just think it's really fun. But I really resonated, if you were here this past Sunday with Mark, when he shared that when it comes to studying the Bible, he tends towards, like, the letters of Paul, the, the theology, and not so much sitting in the Gospels. And I was like... That is totally me, too. As much as I love biographies and learning the stories about people, I also tend towards studying theology, you know, the the letters of Paul and those kind of things, rather than sitting in the Gospels and just sitting with the person of Jesus and learning what was he like when he was on earth? What did he do? Where did he go? And that was one of my big motivations for going to Israel was I want to walk where he walked. I want, and, I, and I was fortunate enough. I know that not everyone will ever have the opportunity, but I was fortunate enough. I had the opportunity, and I got to go do that. And it really did kind of shape my reading now a little bit more of what was Jesus' life like when he was on earth. Now, I have to stop there because even though I'm saying the Gospels are kind of a biography of his time on earth, we have to always remember, I know I need to remind myself of this all the time, that Jesus is also fully God, right? When you read the Jesus storybook Bible to your kids, it says every story whispers his name. And that just gets me every time, every story. So go back through all of the Old Testament. Go back to creation, right? Jesus, it says in John 1, was the word, was with God, and is God, right? So we're studying in the book of Luke the time that Jesus was on earth in fully God and fully human form, but he was there from the beginning. He is God. And I know for myself, I need to remember both those things, and I need to put them together when I'm going through the Gospels. So I just wanted to kind of remind us all of that, too. The part that we're at right now, today I'll be doing... um, teaching through Luke 19 and 20, next week 21 and 22, 
And this is literally the last week of Jesus's time on earth. And he knows that, right? Because he's fully God and fully human, he knows. His disciples don't totally get it yet, but he knows that he is literally in his last week on earth. He knows what is coming. He knows where he's heading right now. So there's a lot going on in these chapters, and what I decided to do was kind of do an overview of it and try to get through all of it. Um, But some background really fast for this is the players, the people here, the characters that are in this section that we're going to talk about is, of course, Jesus, his disciples, the 12, his followers, the group, you know, kind of the larger group of followers that are following him around, the religious leaders that we're going to get the sense of are kind of following him and trying to um, catch him. They're, they're, They're trying to find fault in him to capture him somehow. And then the crowds. Where we're at right now in this story is that there are, they are heading into Jerusalem for the Passover. At that time, Jews from all over Israel were coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was like their annual pilgrimage, right? So there are also these big crowds heading there right now. The events that we're going to go through, there's going to be some real events that take place. His interaction with Zacchaeus, for example. But then there's also some parables. And I know for me, sometimes I have to remember, okay, this one's a parable. This is a story he's telling to make a point, and then this is something that really happened. So I just kind of want to point that out, that we're having, we're going to kind of toggle back and forth between some real events and then some parables that he's telling. So with that said, let's see if I can get all these moving parts here, guys, because I'm going to even try to use the laser pointer, and there is a lot of stuff up here. So bear with me. When Jesus is going to meet Zacchaeus, well, he doesn't know he's going to meet Zacchaeus. Well, he does. You know what I mean. When he is heading (laughs) to Jericho. So if you kind of look at this map, okay, we have, this is Israel, and I just lost my place. Here we go. Jerusalem is this spot down here at the bottom. Sorry, my hands are still shaking. Whew, we'll get there. Jericho is right here. So this is kind of the journey that Jesus has been taking. He's in Jericho now, and he's heading toward Jerusalem. Jericho to Jerusalem is about 15 miles away. And on his way there, we're going to end up in Bethany. Bethany is where he had raised Lazarus from the dead a little bit ago. So people in Jericho kind of have heard about this. Okay, So he gets to Jericho. And he, whew, my hands have got to stop shaking. Sorry about that. He gets to Jericho, and he's passing through on his way to get to Bethany to get to Jerusalem. Okay, so following along on the bottom of the map there. He's passing through, um, through Jericho, and Zacchaeus has heard of him. And Zacchaeus is seeking to see him. Okay? Now, who is Zacchaeus? This is what we know from chapter 19. Zacchaeus is rich. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. That means he even had tax collectors under him. And tax collectors notoriously were cheating people, right? So he is a bad guy to the people that live there. We know that he is short. And we know that he's heard of Jesus. And for some reason, he's seeking to see Jesus. So... What does he do? He climbs up a tree. He runs up ahead of the crowd, and he climbs up a tree. If you grew up in church, you probably heard the song. I'm not going to sing it, but I think of it every time, right, that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and he climbs up in a tree. and So he runs ahead. Now picture this for a second, okay, because try to picture this in your head. 
Zacchaeus is a rich leader, chief tax collector, despised person, and he's climbing out on a limb of a tree just to see Jesus pass below him. This is an undignified thing for him to do, right? This is not normal. If you saw some you know, rich, famous person suddenly like running up ahead and climbing up a tree just to see someone pass by, that's not a normal thing that happens, right? I think I actually, oh, sorry, we'll come back to this maybe, but this is another map really fast, backtrack a little bit, that they're heading towards Bethany and then into Jerusalem. We'll come back to that one. Here's a picture that I found to kind of illustrate this. So here's Zacchaeus. He's up on this tree. He just wants to see Jesus pass below. Jesus has a big crowd with him. They are heading to Jerusalem for the Passover, going through Jericho, and Zacchaeus just wants to catch a sight of him. But here's what happens. He's waiting for Jesus to pass, but what does Jesus do? He stops. He stops below the tree. He looks up, and here's what he says. Zacchaeus. Okay, stop for a second. That might not stand out, but he knew his name, right? Zacchaeus had heard of Jesus. That made sense. But Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. So he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay with you. And what does Zacchaeus do? Now think back for a second. Last chapter or so we read, there was a rich man that came to Jesus that wanted to know how to follow him, and he ends up leaving, right? He says, oh, that's too hard for me to give up all my riches and follow you. One chapter or so later, we have Zacchaeus, also a rich man. In this tree, Jesus stops. He knows him. He identifies him. He calls him by name, and he says, come down. I need to go be with you. And Zacchaeus responds immediately, it says, right? He hurries down the tree, and he immediately, with joy, accepts, right? Accepts Jesus' invitation. He has a different response than the rich man of the last chapter. And then, as a result of his brief encounter with Jesus, what happens? He is changed completely. He gets a new identity, right? It immediately changes him, and he goes from being this chief tax collector who is cheating people out of money, and he immediately responds and says, anyone I've cheated, I'm going to pay back fourfold, and I'm going to give away half my goods. Now, it's important to recognize that's not a condition of his salvation, right? But it was his response. Jesus knew his name. Jesus invited himself into his home, and Zacchaeus is immediately transformed just by meeting Jesus. And it changes everything about him, right? It changes his identity. He was considered a sinner, and now basically Jesus is telling him, you're my friend. So remember, there's crowds around Jesus, right? You would think they would be happy about this, right? You'd think they would go, wow, this guy is now a friend of Jesus. But no, they don't. They grumble. They complain. They don't rejoice about this. They say, why would you go to his house? He's a sinner. To them, Zacchaeus is still a sinner, but to Jesus, he's now a friend. So when I was reading that, what kind of stood out to me, it's not exactly the same thing, but I thought back on my own life, and I remember being in high school, and this is going to maybe sound funny to some of you guys, but when I was in high school, I would have identified myself as a Christian, and I was. I was a follower of Jesus in high school, 
But I remember thinking and praying, Lord, when I get to college, I don't think people follow you in college. I don't know why I thought that, but I thought that at the time. So I thought, okay, when I get there, I probably won't follow you anymore. But if there's any way, <laughs> again, I can't explain it, but if there's any way that I can still follow you in college, you know, make that clear to me. So I get to college, and it's a long story, but basically, God made it so clear to me almost immediately. Allison, this is not what you do. This is who you are. And that has stuck with me ever since then. And I thought of that a little bit with Zacchaeus' story, right? You were a tax collector. You were a sinner. But you are now my friend. You are now a friend of Jesus. And these people over here, they're grumbling and complaining about it. But that didn't bother Jesus, right? He went, he spent time with Zacchaeus. He gave him a new identity. And he changed his life with one encounter. And Jesus ends this little section of our reading by saying, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. His mission statement, right? So they're still over here in Jericho, which is over, not quite on the map, but over here. And they're about to head to this Mount of Olives, to the villages of Bethany and Bethphage. And he stops and he tells a parable. So remember I said there's going to be some real events and some stories. This is one of the stories he tells them. Now at the time, and this was something that we talked about when we were in Israel, was that Jesus was telling parables in terms that the people of that time understood with things that they understood, right? So when he tells the parable of the sower and the seed, he's walking around and the, the Disciples are seeing the gravel and the dirt, and it made sense to them in that time. So this parable makes sense to the people at the time that he's telling them because a similar political situation had just taken place, and I'm not going to get into all of that. But we still get truth out of these stories, but they did exactly make sense to the people at the time that he was telling them to. So he tells a parable, and also in your packet that you have for Bible study, there's a really good summary of it, so I just wanted to say, I'm not going to get into it in as much depth, but go back and read that par the, the Bible study packet and the explanation it gives in the, of this parable. But the important point is this, that Jesus tells this parable of the, the, the servants and the ten minas, right? This is about, one minnow is about three or four months wages. So this is a lot of money that the master is passing out to these servants, right? He says, okay. This just happened with Zacchaeus. I am here to seek and save the lost. And now he's telling the story. So let's think of maybe why this all goes together. And we're heading to Jerusalem. Remember that too. So he says, this political situation that had just happened, this, like I said, this makes sense to them. So he says, I've given these, um, the parable is that this master has given his servants this amount of money and says, I am going away, you take care of things while I'm gone, and I'm going to come back. And when he comes back, some of them had invested it, you know, increased the amount of money he had left them with, but one said, nope, I didn't do that, I buried it because I was scared of you, right? So why is he telling that parable right here? Well, he is preparing to go in to Jerusalem. And again, it's his last week of life. He knows he is going to Jerusalem to die. He knows what is coming. His followers, they kind of think 
He's going in to become king, right? But he knows that he's going in to suffer, to die on the cross, to return to heaven, and to tell them that someday he's going to come back again, right? Similar to the master leaving and leaving this amount of money, this treasure with the the servants and saying, I'm going to come back and there's going to be an accounting for this, right? So he's going away. He's going to come back again. Jesus knows that this is what is about to happen. So he is preparing the people that are following him for that, right? He's saying, we're about to, without putting this into these exact words, what he is, the point he's trying to make in the story is, we are coming into Jerusalem. You think I'm coming in as a conquering king, but I am not. I'm coming in to die, to go back to heaven, and I'm going to leave you with the treasure, right? I'm going to leave you with the gospel. I'm going to leave you, and I want you to invest it. I want you to do something with this. I want you to increase what I leave with you, not just sit on it, okay? I'm not coming in there to bring the kingdom to earth right now in the way that you think I am. I'm not coming in as a conquering king to create the kingdom of God in Jerusalem today. I'm going in there and leaving, and I'm leaving these treasures of the kingdom of God with you to do something with until I come back. Okay, so he's telling this parable to get that point across to them prior to coming into Jerusalem, where he knows that he is about to die. So we're now heading to Bethany, okay? So that was following Zacchaeus' conversion in Jericho. They walk on, like I said, Jericho to Bethany is about 15 miles. Bethany is on the eastern side. So they see this little Mount of Olives here. This is the eastern side of it, and that's where the village of Bethany is. Bethany is where um, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. Bethany is where he raised Lazarus from the dead, like I said. And Bethany is where Jesus would often visit on his way into Jerusalem, because several times through his life he did go into Jerusalem, right? So he's heading now that 15-mile walking journey from Jericho to Bethany, and then from Bethany and the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem is about two more miles. And when you're standing here, I'll have a picture in a little while that I'll show you. When you're standing here on the Mount of Olives, I guess in my mind, as silly as this sounds when I read some of these stories in, in, in the Bible before going and seeing it, I thought everything was kind of right next door to each other. And then when I stood there, I realized between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem, this is a valley. He's got to walk down and through a two-mile valley every time he goes into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Just kind of tuck that away and remember that. So he gets to Bethany on the eastern side here of the Mount of Olives, and he's about to head down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and up into Jerusalem, specifically to Temple Mount, where the temple is right here, okay? So what does he do when he gets to Bethany? He says to his, a few of his disciples, he says, go ahead of me. You're going to see a donkey, like a baby donkey, a donkey colt that's never been ridden. And tell them that I need him. Bring him back to me. Okay. The disciples, okay. <laughs> you know, so they go, and it's just as he says, right? There's this donkey that's never been ridden. 
and they bring it back to him. Now this might just seem like a silly little thing, but let's get to my picture. Now there's Bethany, Mount of Olives, Temple Mount. But here's what's so significant about this donkey that he goes to get, you guys. In Zechariah 9.9 and 14, 1-5, Old Testament prophecy, it says, The Messiah will come to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, lowly and riding on a donkey. So those kind of things, when I read them in scripture, to me, just jump off the page when I see the connections as like, Lord, thank you. This was like a nugget of gold, right? That these things that were prophesied way back here are coming true. It's just further proof that Jesus is the Messiah. He is fulfilling scripture. He is coming in to Jerusalem, just as it says in Zechariah, lowly and riding on a donkey, okay? So he gets this donkey. There's these people. This is actually a picture I took because there are people that dress up and walk around with donkeys on the Mount of Olives, and you kind of pay them a dollar and take their picture like you're on the street in Hollywood or something, right? So I took this picture of this guy with the sample donkey because I liked it. Anyway, so he's now on the Mount of Olives. He's got his donkey, fulfilling scripture, showing that he's the Messiah, and also showing, again, that he's entering Jerusalem not as a conquering king, but as a peaceful servant. Riding in at the time on a donkey showed peace, not war. So those are some of the important things about the donkey. Now, I'm going to be honest, this section on the triumphal entry coming down the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem and weeping over Jerusalem, I'm actually going to put those on hold till next week because it kind of goes with next week. So just sit on that for this week. We're going to talk more about that next week. But he goes down the mountain. And this is, again, a picture that I took. When you're standing on the Mount of Olives today, this is what you see of Jerusalem. Obviously, a lot of these buildings were not there in Jesus' time. But I just want you to see, there's that Kidron Valley that I showed you on the map. I'm up on the Mount of Olives. And there is Jerusalem. So that is Temple Mount. This would have been where the temple was at that time. Okay? So he's looking across and he sees, and it is big and it is magnificent, and he is heading there next. Okay? Today, just as an interesting point, this is actually part of the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem, and this is a Muslim monument called the Dome of the Rock. But that is the spot where the temple would have been, which historically is also believed to be the spot. This is why it has so much religious significance is because that is where Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah to put him on the altar and sacrifice him. Then there's the first temple, the second temple, now the Dome of the Rock there, okay? So that is the spot you're looking at when you're standing on the Mount of Olives, looking across the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem. So he prepares to walk down that's Palm Sunday stuff. We're going to talk about that next week. But um, he enters the temple. Now, when he gets into the temple, Temple Mount is still there. So I did get to walk in it. It is, um, you know, a Muslim, part of the Muslim quarter now. And the Dome of the Rock is there in place of 
the temple, but you do get to kind of walk and see these courtyards. And this is pretty important because this is actually, you'll see, this is a model in the Israel Museum. So this is not the actual building, but this is to show what it would have looked like. So you can see these people over here are obviously giants compared to the temple because this is just a model, but it gives a good idea of what Temple Mount looked like, what the courtyard looks like, and then you get into these increasingly more secure levels of the temple, right? So here is what in Jesus' day this area would have looked like. This is called the Court of the Gentiles. That's where the money changers and the merchants would have been. So when he comes in to that area, now remember, in other Gospels, not in Luke, but in other Gospels it talks about that he cleared out the money changers and the merchants at the beginning of his ministry. He's coming in for the last week of his ministry, and what does he find? Merchants and money changers. Because again, this is Passover. It's a pilgrimage for all the Jews in Israel to come to Jerusalem to pay their dues and to make sacrifices at the temple. So when they come in there, they have to change their money. That's why they're called the money changers, because it had to be made in a certain denomination. And they had to buy animals to sacrifice. So what do you have going on here in the court of the Gentiles is people cheating them as they're coming in to pay their dues, to, to worship, to make their sacrifices, and they're cheating the people, the crowds that are coming in and saying, you know, okay, I'll change you that money, right? But kind of making an extra buck off of it. And Jesus walks into this, and it infuriates him, right? He's cleaned it out before. He's cleaning it out again. And what does he say to them? He says, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers, right? So he is entering the temple. He's upset to see this. He's upset that people are cheating people in this holy place who are coming to worship God, right? Now, the next part, we're up to chapter 20 in our lesson this week. And in this part, what's going on is just... Picture this with me. Now, Jesus is there. Again, I keep saying this, but this is the last week of his life, and he knows that. He knows what is coming. And he is staying there in the temple area to teach and to preach. So this next little section is probably about Tuesday or so of Holy Week, right? And he's there. He's preaching and he's teaching from the temple. And there's some groups that are gathered around him, right? It says there's the chief priests. And the scribes that are there seeking to destroy him. And then there's the crowds that are hanging on his every word. There's a lot going on in this next chapter. But the main point that I want to get across to you guys today is there is an overwhelming sense at this part in the story of Jesus that this group of religious leaders is just out to get him, right? They seem to be following him around listening to everything he's saying, trying to capture him, trying to come up with a reason that they can capture him. But there's the crowds that are hanging on his every word. So they can't just arrest him. So they're coming up with questions, right? And that's what we go through in the next part of chapter 20 is they're saying, well, what about taxes? Who do we pay our taxes to? Can we do that? You know, they're asking all these questions, trying to catch him. 
saying the wrong thing so that they can have a reason to capture him, right? What about the resurrection? What about if a man marry, a woman marries a man and he dies and then she marries his brother and they never have kids and then she ends up marrying seven? I mean, it is just exhausting, right? Picture this for a second. He is teaching and these people are just hanging around. The re- they are the religious leaders. They are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. They are just hanging around trying to tear him down. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, that just seems exhausting, right? Doesn't it just feel a little exhausting to spend your time just trying to break somebody down, trying to catch them, trying to ask them confusing questions, to get them to say the wrong thing? That is how the religious leaders are spending their time around Jesus. And it just struck me, they spent their life waiting for the Messiah. He is in front of them, and they can't see it, right? They can't see it. They are prideful. They are stubborn. They are hard-hearted, and they cannot see that the Messiah that they have studied about, that they know from the scriptures is coming, is there, right in front of them. The guy who just rode in on the donkey, like the prophet said, he's there, right there. And it just, it just hit me. And I actually was thinking a lot about what Priscilla taught about a few weeks ago. If you were here, she talked about, she kind of wrote her own parable about being the Pharisee woman. And that hit me. And I started thinking, if I was there, where would I have been? Right? I'd like to think I would have been a follower hanging on Jesus' every word. But if I'm honest, there are times when I know I would have been one of these religious leaders standing around picking Jesus apart and trying to catch him, right? And that made me a little bit sad, but we have to be honest that there are times where we struggle with that same kind of pride and hard-heartedness and stubbornness. So tension is sort of mounting as we are walking closer and closer to the crucifixion of Jesus. And in the midst of this setting, him teaching in this temple area, the the religious leaders around him questioning him, and the crowds hanging on his every word, this is our setting now, and he tells another parable. This parable says, there's a man who plants a vineyard, and he leaves it under the care of his tenants while he goes away. Later, he decides to send some servants to gather some of the fruit that has grown. And he sends a servant, and he's beaten, right? The tenants beat up the servant that they should have given the fruit to. So he sends another, they beat him up. The master sends another, they beat him up. So finally, what does he do? He says, I'm going to send my beloved son, because surely they won't beat him up. The people taking care of the vineyard see the sun coming, and they decide to kill him. So again, this this is a parable. That's not what really happened. But what is the point Jesus is making in this setting, in this context, in the temple, with these people, with the events that he knows that are coming, that his disciples still don't quite understand? What is the point he's making right here? 
This is what's going to happen. This is what is going to come. The master has sent people. He's sent prophets throughout the ages. And people didn't listen. And now I am here. God sent his beloved son. I am here. And they are going to kill me. This is what is coming. So in these parables, I just see that Jesus is trying to prepare his followers for what is to come. They don't quite understand it yet, but this is, those are the points that he's making in those stories. So, again, throughout this section, it literally says these religious people were trying to destroy him while he's there in the temple. There's two things that I want to kind of get across from these two chapters. One is just, I think for each of us, some part in this section of Jesus' life can hit us in a different way. So each of us, I would just encourage you, ask yourself, where do I see myself in this story? Where, where do I relate? What resonates with me? What is the Holy Spirit impressing on my heart from what we've talked about today? Am I like Zacchaeus? Did I have an encounter with Jesus that changed me? Did he give me a new identity? And now I am joyful about that and willing to, to just allow him to change my life and use my life? Or am I like Zacchaeus? Am I hanging out in that tree and I want to see Jesus pass by, but I haven't encountered him yet? That could be you today. Or do you relate to the religious people, the Pharisees, struggling with pride and judgment towards others, grumbling and complaining, even when Jesus is doing what he says he came to do, to seek and save the lost? They were grumbling and complaining. Do, does that resonate with any of us a little bit? Are there areas in my life where I am struggling with pride and judgment like the Pharisees here? Jesus made it clear in these passages that his path is one of humility. Riding in on a donkey was humble. Choosing the path towards the cross was humble. If you go back to this map, I just want to point this out. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but he was here in Bethany. He goes to Mount of Olives. He goes to the temple. And throughout the next week, what we're going to talk about more next week is he goes back and forth. He could have gone back out here, headed east, and gotten out of there. But he didn't. He humbly chose to go into Jerusalem to take that path and to die on the cross for us. Or maybe it's one of the characters in the parables that you relate to. Maybe you relate to the servant who, and you feel like, okay, the Lord has given me some treasures. Maybe you realize he, I, I am like Zacchaeus. He did do something that changed my life. I encountered Jesus. He changed me. And now I have that truth. I have that gospel. I have that treasure. And I need to do something with it, right? I don't want to be like the servant that just sits on it waiting for the master to come back. I want to do something with that. Maybe you relate to that. Or maybe you relate 
to another part in one of the parables. The servant entrusted with the riches of the kingdom, are we investing that or sitting on it? So something that hit me with that was, am I investing in my master's kingdom or am I investing in my own? The second challenge today is just to simply sit in this story, to simply sit in the biography of what Jesus' time on earth and think about what did he do? How did he treat people? How did he interact? Remember, if I knew I had one week left to live, what would I do? This is literally what Jesus did. He spent time with Zacchaeus. He had that encounter with him. He changed his life. He taught others. He was humble. There's so much we could go into there, but think about that. Simply sit in the story and reflect on the life and the death of Jesus. We have this amazing truth, right? And we are going to talk about this more next week, too, as he gets even closer and even closer and even closer to his death. But we have this amazing truth that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, came to earth as a man in humility, walked towards his own death on a cross for us because he loves us. So there is something that can be so rich sometimes in just sitting in that truth and reflecting on that and remembering it. So those are the two things that I encourage you guys to do this week. Think about where you see yourself in the story and then just simply reflect on who Jesus is and what he did for you.